certainly hot with a maximum expected of around 32 degrees and that's in the urban areas uh, i can expect uh, some of those exposed places to be several degrees higher most probably uh, moderate east to southeasterly winds staying hot over the next couple of days uh, uh, also a few more showers as well. Currently 29 degrees Celsius, relative humidity at 82%. UV reading is low for the time being, but uh, once the sun's out in, in force, that should rise considerably. Uh, just after 8.30 and coming up shortly, of course, uh, um, uh, news at 9 o'clock, after which, of course, you can look forward to uh, Sunday Smile with Candice Moore and Friends before Tim Little Child does his stuff uh, with something for the weekend at around 9.30. But, of course, Yan to Yan's just around the corner as well. But first... RTHK and the South China Morning Post are now calling for potential beneficiaries for this year's Operation Santa Claus. To be eligible, you must be an officially registered local charity and submit a detailed proposal on how your charity would spend $1 million. Guidelines and application forms are available at osc.scmp.com. The deadline is Monday, the 30th of June. Sunday afternoon. Do it, do it. On Radio 3. It's the Sunday session with the homie Simon Wilson. RTHK bang loud through the building. Radio 3 on the dial, no question. Frequency 567 is the weapon. Hey, DJ HK Airplay. 1 to 4 p.m. every Sunday. Hong Kong's finest. DJ Simon brought to you live from RTHK.HK. Frequency 567 a.m. Radio 3. DJ Simon. Top of Hong Kong Sunday. Sunday afternoons from one. Back chat. If you look at the history of Hong Kong, explores the issues that Hong Kong is talking about. Our prosperity derived from individual endeavor. Issues that matter to you. It should be developed as an ecotourism rather than a shopping mall. Call the studio, text, email, or comment on Facebook. Whenever you search on the app, it shows you the nearby toilet. Join the conversation on Backchat weekday mornings at 8.30. What can you expect when listening to the 123 show? Well, you told me just to ask the questions. I, I will just ask the questions. You can spin it any way you want to. I knew when I recorded this album, I knew that I would it would have value. I feel that there is a uh, there is a serious crisis in Hong Kong right now. You're joking. That doesn't really exist. And that does exist. I met uh, two really good boyfriends. Two at the same time. Um, no, not, not at the same time. As the young people of this earth would say nowadays. YOLO, Noreen. Oh, I hate YOLO. The 123 Show with Noreen Mir. Weekdays from 1 until 3, only on RTHK Radio 3. Two police officers had opened fire. We explored every possible solution. The case happened in the early morning. A full roundup of the day's stories from home and overseas. That is not good governance. We hope that we can present our view. Every night, speaking directly to the people behind the news and making the news, plus the day's finance and sport. We make sure that we play good enough football to take advantage. I didn't make many mistakes. I hit a lot of fairways. News Wrap, 6 p.m. weeknights on RTHK Radio 3. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. 26 and a half minutes now before 9 o'clock and time for another edition of Yantu Yan, produced and presented by Renita Mahaucha Hora. Last week on Yantu Yan, I talked with David Harilila, 
one of the most well-known Indians in Hong Kong and certainly leader of its Sindhi community. Today we'll talk to another very prominent businessman, but he's a Punjabi. His name is Harinderpal Banga, but he goes by Harry. Harry is the founder of the Noble Group, a global commodities trading and supply chain manager of agricultural, industrial and energy products. In March 2012, Forbes ranked him as the 45th richest person in India and the 1140th richest person in the world. But Harry is well known for remembering his modest roots and keeping his feet on the ground and being kind to all who cross his path. Many who deal with him in day-to-day matters are surprised to learn of his standing and wealth. I had the chance to visit Harry on a recent Friday afternoon at his office at the Caravel Group, a brand new business that he has created just last year. with Jill, uh, that's the Caravel Group, uh, which we founded um, in January 2013 when I left the Noble Group from its board. And uh, 1st of November 2013, officially Noble Group, uh, Caravel Group got launched. So we are in the commodities, we are in the maritime sector, and uh, we are also in the asset management, which is known as the Caravel Asset Management. I've got two of my sons on board. The elder one is Gunit, the younger one is Sangat. Both came from the financial background. Why we started, uh, the two sons and I started talking somewhere about three years ago that what they want to do having worked in their respective financial institution. That was uh, Citigroup and uh, KKR, the private equity firm. They said, Dad, uh, if you have to come and join Noble, which is another big multinational, so what do we get? Nothing we might as well stay in this company, our prospective KKR and city. So if we want to do something and we want to join you and uh, we have to do something different where we can have our own stamp. So I think for that origination of Caravel came in and when I decided that I'm leaving, a lot of my colleagues at the Noble Group who had worked with me over 15 and 20 years and they put their hands that, listen, we're also going with you. Originally, we were not supposed to be doing all this. We were supposed to be more on running on the financial institution side, which was more of my children's business. But things moved in a different direction. Now we're in the maritime sector. We're in the resources sector. In 2011, uh, I did a management buyout. One of the noble groups, a large maritime company, a company called Fleet Management Limited. And today we are the second largest uh, ship managers in the world. We manage about 350 ships uh, and uh, about $20 billion in assets. So the story began in Hong Kong in 1984 when we got transferred from London where I used to be working with a multinational company called Gulf International. So at that time the management decided the future of commodities and shipping is going to be in Asia and we were one of the pioneers who came and opened an office in Beijing in 85. 
So I came in 84. From 84 to 88, I was working with the Caravel, uh, with the, the uh, with the Gulf International. And uh, 88, I got transferred to Geneva. Went there for six months. Didn't like it at all. Wanted to come back to Hong Kong. And they said, oh, you've done enough work in the region. Now we need you in the corporate office. Destiny was what it's to be. I resigned, uh, then had the option at that time with Richard Elman to start Noble Group. So in 88, we started Noble Group. And moving forward in 2013, after 25 years, uh, left, and uh, now we started on our own. So that's the reason. Passed originally from India, uh, born in uh, India, Amritsar. Grew up in Chandigarh, where my dad was a civil servant. Went into college, uh, engineering college there. Left the engineering college halfway, went and joined one of the best maritime institute place called Dufferin, and did four years of training there, then worked my way through, and I became the youngest captain in the history of the Indian Merchant Navy at 27. I said, now is enough is enough, moved on, went to England, and did some maritime courses on the legal, on the insurance, and charter ship broking. Married in 1978, and moved to London in 1980. So that's what the story is all about. So, Caraval, yeah, what exactly is the Caraval? You say it has a commodities trading business, it has an asset management business, and uh, also on the maritime side. So, can you explain a little bit about the differences in these businesses? And you said that it it is actually different from what you proposed it would be at the, start, at the outset. True. Uh, my sons just wanted to have a very much a financial institution business. They wanted to run a large hedge fund and a private equity because that's what their education was all about. That's where all experience was all about. So originally it was supposed to be pure hedge fund and uh, management of assets internally, most of it, and then we thought once we grow up, we'll go and raise the external funds. But as of today, we have all internal funds. The structure of the group is done in such a manner that three years down the road, if you want to raise third-party money, we have all the qualified people, staff, we can do that. But as of today, we have no intention to do that. So going back to the first question you have, the Caraval Group has got three divisions today. The one I just talked about, the asset management, which is partly the old family office, which we then institutionalized it. It's run by a guy called uh, Ben Rudd, who manages and runs a $750 million portfolio. So that he runs it. The other business is Caraval Maritime, uh, which is all related to shipping. And again, that's divided into three. One is the ship management I talked to you about earlier, which is a company called Fleet Management, headquartered in Hong Kong with a global footprint, and we manage 350-odd ships on that one. The second part of it is the Caraval Shipping, which is the commercial arm of the operating systems where we lease, operate, and do the third-party in-house movement of our commodities, mainly dry bulk. We do not get involved in any wet or tanker and oil businesses. Lastly, uh, under Caraval Maritime, we own our own assets, which we have ships, which we own jointly with people, and also completely owned by us. So that's the Caraval Maritime. The ship Sparrows fall to learn how to fly 
Caravel Resources, which is purely commodity trading, uh, we un- do not have any assets on either side of the pipeline. And again, divided into three divisions: one is Caravel Metallurgical, which is the iron ore trading company; then the Caravel Carbon, which trades on the carbon for the energy, that's coal for thermal powers uh, for power stations; and lastly, Caravel, Caravel Ores and Alloys, which is chrome, manganese, nickel, and alloys. So basically, our commodity activities are purely around the steel industry and around the power industry. Was that intentional? No, that was not intentional. <laughs> that because all my team with whom I was working, they came and said, you know, listen, you know, and I was telling them, listen, guys, I'm 62. At the time, I should be hanging my boots, not starting something different, or starting all over again in life. But having worked with all these people for over 20 years, and then they all put their hands up, and I think. Uh, The family and I decided, all right, let's uh, let's move in that direction. And the boys were agreeing that, all right, we, now we're not thinking on those lines. But now that whole team and everybody's coming on board, a best team in the world, a great time to be in the businesses. When all the banks were being asked to move away from the commodities, there was a great opening. There was a great niche, and that was the right timing, I guess. Wow! So commodities trading. Um When you were at Noble Group, I mean, this sounds like this was your second company you birthed. I mean, you you birthed the Noble Group. That must have been hard to do that. Spend fifteen or so years, more than that, building it, and then. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, but uh, today I think the challenges are very, very different. When we started Noble Group, uh, and we had to work our way for twenty five years to build the Fortune one hundred company. And when we started, we had nothing in our pocket. There was nothing to lose. Now, starting second time, and you were really at the top. There's everything to lose. So the challenges are very different. You know, before we had lost at that age, we were still young. You could work your way through. You could get a job. But today, the challenge is very, very big and very different. At the Noble Group, those 25 years you were there, was it sort of similar divisions, similar product? Yeah, very much the similar division, similar product, except the asset management, because Noble Group was never ever in the asset management. So they're more on the commodity side and the maritime side, and that's where we continued from there. So, how do you go from having this merchant navy background and being sort of a captain at sea to getting into commodities trading? And was it because it was all related to sort of the shipping arena? You're absolutely right. You know, um, the and commodities are shipping. Are tied to the hip. Both are connected with each other. You can't handle a commodity without the shipping, and you can't have a shipping without a commodity. So it was, I think, the perfect way to understand both the businesses and take a leverage out of both. So then, from shipping, I slowly, slowly moved into commodity. To handle commodities, you have to understand the shipping, and with having both the knowledges, I guess it was the perfect platform to master both the trades. And what was it about Hong Kong that made it so perfect? I mean, in 1988, you say you went to Geneva, and six months later, you said, "No way, I'm I'm out of here." So tell me about that. I think uh, you know you have lived here for five years. It just just grows on you. This place is, I think, unless somebody has lived here and knows this place, is very very difficult to explain. What they, it's got its own buzz. It just grows on you, and it's got the best of East and West. The culture wise, work ethics wise, I think it's one of the best places to work. 
and it's such a free market uh, that you can get anything going without actually running around fed and it's a country where the system works the banking system works and everything works so what else in fact we have almost zero business in hong kong our turnover in hong kong is zero and we are almost 300 people here with zero turnover so it just tells you it's a great headquarters great financial center greater logistics place but no business to be done here it's all done outside hong kong so when everybody else has sort of this this notion of uh, the indian community here being traders and simply using it as the place to operate would you say that is in some ways the same i think it's same but it's at a much larger scale if you look at it uh, you know think if one big ship of commodities is 200000 ton most of the other trading community will do 200000 ton in the whole year or maybe lesser so it's a very different place where we come from rather than just a normal consumer goods tradings and things like that or textiles or toys or watches our business is very complex and very different i believe that the sunshine will come out to rain and make me beautiful rainbow i believe and believe even though they were laughing someone told me so the pavements that shine Drenched in the rain, and rain makes the flowers grow stronger. The stars in the dark will light up the way. So keep going on. This show is about sort of the Indians, if you will, in Hong Kong. and they have been very successful in trading in this other kind of trading as you say, you know, consumer goods and so forth. Um Many of the Indians in Hong Kong classically are from the Sindhi community and they seem to have it in their blood. Okay, there's no question about that. Do you think that that is I mean you're Punjabi, okay? And um many people tend to think, oh well, how different could they be? They're both from North India and um I think you might agree that it's kind of a different animal <laughs> if you will. Um do you think the Punjabis also have this uh combination of trading banking entrepreneurism um of a different level sort of in their blood or is it a matter of right place right time what would you say i think it's a combination of both uh, i mean uh, i think uh, punjabis and sindhis are great entrepreneurs look at punjabis what they have done in canada the most of the canada today is run and owned and operated by punjabis look at the west coast of uh, San Francisco they all the biggest farms and biggest everything fruit growing every business is owned by punjabis so punjabis actually have gone worldwide very much like sindhis because they are entrepreneurs they understand the risk they know how to manage the risk and in the end they're also very hard working people both of them they work very hard what do you think accounts for that that sort of drive and hard work i think uh, it's if you look at punjabis and sindhis both in one form of shape became a refugees a generation ago look at hong kong's success they're all chinese but very successful compared to the mainland chinese because they all came here as refugees but refugees when you have nothing no shelter above you and you have to start from zero you have to survive and you learn the instinct of survival instinct and you start working very very hard and i think that's hong kong's uh, success is all about because it's been polluted populated by complete refugees in the beginning and that's what the success is all about so this is a really interesting point you bring up because we hear this about refugees 
in places that you've mentioned. We hear this about first-generation immigrants in the USA, those farmers that you talked about in California and more. My question then is what happens when it comes to the second generation? I think it's a very, very important question. I mean, look at from my perspective, okay? Uh, my children doesn't know anything about refugees. Of course, even though they're living in Hong Kong, they live themselves as that they're locals here very much. Because I came because my parents, I saw them coming as refugees from Pakistan, settling in Punjab. So I saw a different culture. For them today, word is their oyster. You know, they don't think as a refugee from one country. They consider word is their oyster. They move. Freedom of movement is so quick. So their way of working, their way of thinking, their way of putting things together is very different. And a lot of them are going to be very successful, and yet a lot of them is going to be on the wayside. It's all going to depend where, how the culture, the family cultures, the values, and how they adopt to. Technology today is a new issue, and you look at Indians all over the world, uh, Microsoft being the biggest example. So I think the next generation may not be the very successful businessmen, but they'll be very successful CEOs all over the world. You look at the 10 top corporations in the U.S., Four of them are Indian. So I think that's the new sector you look at it rather than old traditional business people, refugees, trying to make some money on that sector. Yet you mentioned something very important. You mentioned family values and culture, which is a very, very, on one hand, Indian uh, idea, set of values, and very Chinese as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you think this differentiates us as Asian communities from others? Oh, sure. I, absolutely. I think what the way we look at Asia today, I think a lot of Asia's success today is because of our values, which are very, very different. I'm not saying the values anywhere else are not right, but it's a different way of measuring the values today. And I think that's uh, the family, united family is always going to be very successful where everybody helps each other, everybody supports each other. So you get that comfort zone. Hey, if something goes wrong, someone's going to pick up with me. So you start taking those challenges, you start taking those initiatives, knowing very well, if I do go wrong, there's a lot of help around for me to take it up. So will that change, however, as, as our children and these new generations are born and brought up with, let's say, on the success of their parents' coattails? Will that change, that sense of value? Um, I'm sure it'll change because the word itself is changing what was the values for our grandparents and what the values for us as it is has changed a lot. So I'm quite sure these changes are going to take place as the word changes. But change is sometimes good. Change is sometimes better. And that's something which I always consider. There's only one constant factor in life is a change. The question is how it is changing and what is the relative value of the change in the society at that time. So change is going to be a part of our lives going forward. So... Um just in terms of your changes, you, you grew up in Amritsar, but you said that your family had moved over from um, west of that. So tell me about your sort of early years, if you will. Oh, my grandfather was basically, um, my father came in from Pakistan and he had done his college and schooling there. And obviously after the partition in 1947, a lot of this change take, took place. So, But I was born after the 
partition. I was born in 1950 in Amritsar when my dad was a government civil, civil servant. And then later on, he became a secretary to the government, and we all grew up in Chandigarh in the, when he was running a government at that time. So for us, North India, and when I joined Dufferin, that was the first time I ever saw sea. So you can look at the entrepreneurship. A 16-year-old left home alone, never knew what the sea was all about, had never seen his ship was all about. So that's what we were all entrepreneurs and left. Where in Pakistan was your family from? Near Lahore, a Gujranbala place. And um, how about your wife? Oh, she came purely from an army family and her side is also obviously uh, came from Pakistan they were also refugees but uh, her side her father maternal grandfather paternal grandfather all were in the army in fact Indra's grandfather was uh, General Zia was my, grand, my Indra's grandfather was ADC in Karachi in 1945 so still communicated until General Zia died and my grandfather, I mean, Indra's grandfather, they communicated. So they're very much an army family. So where do we go from here? We meaning you. <laughs> oh, a good question. It's now it's no more me, and it's now us together in the Caraval family. So, you know, a lot of people ask me, you must be the stupidest person at early, mid-60s. People start hanging their boots and start enjoying the fruit of their life. And here you are trying to create something all over again. And so what are you trying to prove? So I think it's not me left anymore. I think it's all about big caravel family. What they do together, what we all do together, I think the next stage is all about the caravel family rather than only me. I believe that the sunshine will come after rain and make me a beautiful rainbow. I believed and believed, even though they were laughing, cause someone told me so. The pavements that shine are drenched in the rain, and rain makes the flowers grow stronger. Stars in the dark will light up the way so keep going on. I haven't had a free time till today. Once I find some free time, I'll definitely try and figure it out what to do. As of today, I think over the next three years, I don't think there's going to be the word free time in my dictionary. I think we've got this new baby to look after, and there's a pretty big baby to look after. So maybe three years later on, when you sit down here together and I have a free time I'll tell you what I'm gonna do a dream can be real and safe but then it won't be beautiful I used to be caramel and written through the sea but now I've learned how to sail I believe that
to grace Saves keep sailing on I'd been listening to another edition of Yan to Yan produced and presented by Ronita Mahalcha Hora. RTHK and the South China Morning Post are now calling for potential beneficiaries for this year's Operation Santa Claus. To be eligible, you must be an officially registered local charity and submit a detailed proposal on how your charity would spend $1 million. Guidelines and application forms are available at osc.scmp.com. The deadline is Monday, the 30th of June. Mosquitoes giving you trouble? These few simple measures can prevent mosquitoes breeding in your household. Change the water in vases and remove the stagnant water in air conditioner drip trays and saucers under potted plants weekly. Dispose of refuse properly. Cover water containers tightly and keep mosquito larvae eating fish in fish tanks. Let's work together to prevent mosquitoes breeding in stagnant water. Prevent Japanese encephalitis and dengue fever. Act now. Hand, foot and mouth disease usually affects children. It spreads through direct contact with saliva, nasal discharges and other excretions of infected persons. To prevent this disease, wash hands frequently. Don't share towels. If you have the disease, don't go to school or swim. Also, maintain good indoor ventilation. For more information, please call the Department of Health's hotline 2833-0111 or visit the Center for Health Protection website at www.chp.gov.hk. Turning to the latest on the weather front prior to the news coming up at 9. Well, cloudy conditions, sunshine as well, and also a few showers. Bit of everything as per usual. Certainly hot, though, with a maximum of 32 degrees expected. Winds moderate uh, east to southeast, and more or less the same over the next few days. 29 degrees and climbing relative humidity at 82%.